Well, good morning, church. Anybody excited to be at church today? Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, if anyone is leaving to go outside, downstairs, other building, make your way out as quickly and quietly as you can. Good luck. And to start, I want to just, I have to confess something, okay? I think of myself, or I try to, and again, I'm not perfect. Anybody here perfect? If you are, you can go, all right? Just go. Uh, we are not the church for you. Um, but I like to think of myself as a fairly good guy, okay? I have to confess that. I like to think of myself as a fairly good, not really good, or pretty good, just fairly good, all right? I have my flaws. I have my shortcomings, um, and for 11 years, I've gotten to hear all about them, okay? For those of you who don't know, we've been married now for almost 11 years. And uh, my wife does a really good job of pushing me forward in my faith, but also reminding me of where I kind of stink, right? Uh, that's why she is my God-given helper, to help me grow in my faith. But I have to admit, I think of myself, so here's a few ways that I justify the fact that I'm a pretty good guy. And these are some ways that you might be able to justify the fact that you are probably pretty good dude or pretty good lady. You know, here's a few things. Um, I'm married to a great woman and I love her and her alone, right? I'm committed to her until death do us part. I, I love her with all of me. She's wonderful in numerous ways. I love her. We've been married. It'll be 11 years next month. Um, I try to be, keyword try, to be a good dad, all right? Some days I'm really good. Some days I'm really bad. All right. Uh, I try to be on a daily basis a good dad. I don't wake up in the morning thinking, how can I make my kids' lives miserable today? All right. Sometimes it's just my own shortcomings that makes their life miserable or, or makes interactions. Um, I don't just attend church, but I get the opportunity to preach in church. So I have to attend church, right? I mean, I don't get to wake up and think, I'm, I'm not going today. I'm going to go do something. No, I kind of have to be here. This is my job. But more importantly than the job, this is what God's called me to do and where God's led me to be. So, so I don't just get to attend church on a weekly basis. I get to preach in church. I get to sit in meetings with people and leadership meetings. And, and I get to shepherd people. Um, I work a full-time job outside of here. I try to serve the community when I can. I try to make friends and grow in relationships and try to be nice to people, even those people, right? You know those people. Um, I try to be kind to those people. I pay my taxes before April 15th, right? <laughs> I do it before they need the postmark or they're not going to get accepted. Um, I pay my bills and I try to be kind as well much as I can. Anybody else think of yourself as a fairly good, pretty good, or really good person, or you strive to be? Do we not? I mean, I don't want to live a life where I strive to be miserable and bitter and hateful and all of these things that sometimes we struggle with. I try to be the best I can, a pretty good guy. Well, those are just a few things that I will justify myself as a good, good dude. And maybe you thought of those things that you do 
And maybe you thought of other things. You know, you helped mow the lawn of your neighbor who was sick or who was ill. Or maybe you picked up the branches out of your neighbor's yard after the storm that we had just this past week. Or maybe you go out of your way to do this or you do that. There are numerous ways that you and I can use as measuring markers to justify the fact that we are good people. We are good American citizens. We are good members of society. But here is the harsh reality of that. As good as you are, at the same time, you could be a wretched soul. I mean, we can be great American citizens and we can be great neighbors to those around us. But at the same time, we could be wretched people. Because when it comes to our spiritual well-being, there are no measuring markers in and of our own deeds, thoughts, or anything that we can do that can be used to justify our goodness. Meaning, if I do all of these things, that means I'm a pretty good husband, a pretty good dad, a pretty good worker, a pretty good citizen, a pretty good taxpayer. If I, if I do these things, I'm a, I'm a good neighbor, I'm a good friend, I'm a good loved one. But when it comes to our faith, when it comes to our spiritual relationship with God, there are none of those. There is only one thing, and it is the redemption work of Christ Jesus offered to people like you and me. So the only means that I can use to justify myself before a holy, righteous God is the name of Christ and his gospel. So you can make ways to justify yourself as a good person, as a good man, as a good woman. But when it comes to your spiritual well-being, there is only one way, the way of Christ alone. So today I want to talk for a few minutes about the term of justification. Justification. And we're going to read uh, Luke chapter 18. We're going to look at Galatians. We're going to look at Romans and different verses. Uh, but before we get there, let's discuss very quickly what the term of justification means. Justification doesn't mean just as if I've never sinned before, because that's what you may hear. But justification means that I can stand before a holy, righteous God as holy, blameless, righteous. In the Greek, the, the root of justification is also the root of righteousness. Therefore, whenever you think of someone being justified, you think we have to understand that we can stand before a holy, righteous God as righteous. Are there any ways that you can do that on your own? No, because in God's sight, you and I, in and of our own strength, are filthy rags to him. We are pitiful Poor excuses of people in his sight because the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So you have sinned, your spouse has sinned, your children sin. Amen. Right? But I want to go to Luke chapter 18, read a parable that Jesus gives to us, and then think about the term of justification, but also hope to give you a posture in which you live in for the rest of your life. A posture that if we aren't careful, we will we will think that is beneath us. So Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9, this is what the Bible says. He, meaning Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. What does it mean to treat others with contempt? It means that you believe you are better than, right? It means that you believe that you are better than because you do this and they do that, or you don't do this when they do that. So he told this parable, two men went up into the temple to pray. We've all heard this, right? 
one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Look at what the Pharisee says. He says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but one who humbles himself will be exalted. So if you flip over to Galatians chapter 2, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 15 is what I want to read. I'll give you a moment to to flip over there. Galatians chapter 2 verse 15, the Apostle Paul wrote this, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So let me just explain something. I heard a pastor from uh, the Dallas, Texas area explain this verse really well, and I want to just share with you what he said. He said there's two things that Paul is addressing in this particular text. He said the two things are this, people who think because of their lineage they are right in God's sight. And in today's world, that would be like you being raised by two parents, believing that because you were born into and raised by Christian people, that you in and of yourself are now good in God's sight. But the Apostle Paul would address that by saying that you and I are supposed to work out our own salvation, right? our own personal salvation with fear and trembling. So the Jews believed that because they were born into the lineage of the Jewish people, that because of that inheritance physically on the earthly inheritance through their own lineage, that they were justified in God's sight. So that's why he says we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. He is addressing a people. Did you know that you can be born into any other religion but Christian? You can be born a Muslim. You can be born a Buddhist. You can be born Hindu. I mean, there are so many other religions that you are born as, but when you come to Christianity, this is the only religion that you and I cannot be born into. Meaning we come to a point in life in which we are truly brought to our face before the Lord and have to surrender our own selves to Him. I cannot, because I'm a pastor, look at my girls and assume they are good. I cannot, because I'm a pastor and because I lead people and because I preach on a weekly basis, I cannot be the means of my girl's justification and personal salvation. It is something that they must come to on their own. That all four of my girls individually must come to repentance and call upon the name of Jesus. It's not something that we can inherit from our mother or from our father or from our grandparents as we can money or land or vehicles, but that you and I are only justified through Christ. There is no inheritance on this earth that can put you in right standing with God because all of us 
which are not born into Christianity. We are all born into sin, and sin is what separates us from God, right? Therefore, in order to be saved from our sin, we must be justified. So our inheritance on the earth, our lineage, does not have anything to do with our salvation. Secondly, he was addressing a group of people that put their own worth or their own standing before God in their works of the law and their obedience and their good deeds and how good they were. So let me just encourage you to, this, to know this, that you and your own works, I shared works earlier, did I not? I go to work, I love my wife, I teach my kids, I play with my kids, I pay my bills, I pay my taxes, I do this, I do that. Those are all the works that I use to justify the fact that I might be a good guy or that you might use to justify the fact that you are a good contributing person to society. But it comes to our spiritual life. There are no works that we can use to justify ourselves before God. Meaning, our church attendance is not our means of salvation. We cannot say, well, God, I attended every, every day. Because there's going, to become, there's going to be people that stand before Christ on the day of the, of the judgment that say, well, didn't you see all we did in your name? Didn't you see all that we did? Didn't you see all the good works that we did? And he's going to say what to him? Depart from me, for I did not know you. I did not know you. So our church attendance, our offering amounts, and our hours spent volunteering mean nothing when it comes to being justified before the Lord. They're great things to do. Don't get me wrong. They can impact the world around you. But when it comes to you standing before a holy, righteous judge, justifier, God of the universe, there is only one means of justification. It is the cross of Christ Jesus, our Lord. It is through his work, his bloodshed, his death. Because if you and I were good in and of our own selves, or if we had enough good works to be justified, there would be no need for the cross. There would be no need for Jesus to be crucified for people like you and me. But because you and I are wretched people inherently, because you and I are broken, sinful people who were once dead in our sins and trespasses, there is a new way of hope. And there is only one means of salvation. There's only one means of justification. It is through Jesus Christ alone. The beautiful thing is this, that it's offered to us. So if you were to uh, swipe over or turn over to the book of Romans chapter 3, and then we'll get back to Luke where we began. Chapter 3, starting in verse 21. <clears throat> so Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21, says this, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. What is he referring to? Christ. Although the righteousness, but now the righteousness has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned. All have sinned. I don't care how good you think you are, you have sinned before the glory of God and you have fallen short of his standard. But in verse 24 and on, we read, and are justified by what? His grace as a gift. That we can be justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, 
whom God put forward as a propitiation by his what? Blood. That is the means of our justification. Now, as we read on, he was the propitiation, which is a phrase or a term that is used to be in place of. He took our place in the payment of our sin for the wages of sin is what? Death. Jesus did what on the cross? Died. Therefore, in the death that you and I are deserving of, Jesus stands in our place, silent before Pilate, mocked, beaten, humiliated, and then crucified on a cross, breathing his last breath hours later in our place. So through his blood, and it is to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So let me just, again, let you think about that for a moment. All of us are going to stand before the Lord one day and be judged. All of us. You and I cannot argue with the verdict. You and I cannot argue with the sentencing. We cannot. We cannot go to hell and say, well, I didn't deserve that. Because in and of our own strength, in and of our own deeds, in and of our own lives, we are fully deserving of that. We are. We are fully deserving of being separated from God for all of eternity. We are. But the beautiful thing is that you and I have a means of justification in which I can now stand before the Lord confidently, boldly, because of the blood shed of Christ. So as long as I am a born-again believer and follower of His, I can now consider myself justified, meaning that I can stand before the Lord as a spotless, holy being, not because of me, but because of Christ, so that those who would come to faith in Jesus could truly stand before the Lord one day. And here's the thing, you and I, we sang the song, and he walks with me, and he talks with me in the garden. I, I couldn't help but the picture that Jesus would have, want anything to do with someone like me. Have you ever thought that? Why would he want anything to do with someone like me? Have you ever been there? Have you ever thought to yourself, there's no way that he would truly want to spend time with someone like me after all that I've done and all of my brokenness? Surely he knows all of me, but he still desires to save me from my sin. He offers himself up in place of me to die on a cross for me. He loved the world in this way that he would die on a cross. He would endure the joy set before him to bring us a means of salvation and justification. I don't know, but if that doesn't, get your affections for the Lord to grow, I don't know what will, and you may be hopeless. Because to know that Jesus died for you, to know that Jesus died for someone like me is what draws me closer and closer and deeper and deeper into him. Because I know me. You know you. You know those things that you have hidden from the rest of the world. You know the things that you do in secret. I know the things that I have done that I am completely ashamed of and even embarrassed by. I know me. You know you. He knows you. He knows me. But the fact that he would die in my place 
to offer a means of justification in which I can stand confidently before him face to face, knowing that I am not deserving of what he is about to hand to me, which is eternal life with him. I hate it for you if knowing that he died in your place and is your means of justification doesn't grow your affection for him or doesn't draw you deeper and deeper into relationship for him. Just that alone is enough proof for me to know that my God can do anything. He can do anything. Don't tell me my God cannot do fill in the blank. If my God can take someone like me and present me before himself as holy, he can do anything. Do not ever try to tell me that there is anything impossible for my God. If he can take someone like you, you know the real you. I mean, you know the broken, sinful, wretched you that you once were. If he could take someone like you and bring you back to life, if he can take dead people and their sins and trespasses and grant them eternal life and give them hope and fill them with his spirit, there is nothing outside of the realm of possibility for my God. Don't tell me that he can't do. Don't tell me that he won't be able to do. Don't tell me that this is too big. There is nothing that my God is not able of doing. Don't tell me that he won't bring back the prodigal children that live in rebellion. Don't tell me that he can't heal bodies that are truly sick and destined for poor diagnosis. Don't tell me that he can't restore a marriage that is literally crumbling apart. Don't tell me that he can't do anything because he can do anything. If he can redeem someone like us, he can do anything. And just by the promise that he is able to justify those through the blood of the lamb gives me enough proof that I long to grow closer and closer and closer to him because in and of my own works, I am not able to justify myself. It doesn't matter how good I try to be this coming week. I cannot justify myself. So if we go back to Luke chapter 18, I want you to remember that the justification offered to you and I by Christ is a gift, like Paul said. A gift that wasn't, I mean, it's offered to us freely, but it was definitely costly and conditional. It was costly because it cost Jesus his very life. And it was conditional because it resulted in his death upon a cross for Jesus to be crucified, for Jesus to be beaten, for Jesus to be mocked, for Jesus to be spit on, for Jesus to be slapped. You know, I've never been any of those things. But my girls, especially when they're young, you know, I, I was never able to grow a beard, so I never grew one. I've been growing this for a few months now, and uh, it's finally starting to come in. But you know, there's one pain that just kills me. And it was when my girls would pull my facial hair. What little there was, they would pull it. And they're not very strong, but that physical pain kills me. It's almost as bad as, you know, foot cramps that I get or leg cramps, which is the greatest pain in all of existence. And um, I tried to tell Michaela that and she argued four different times. But um, I can remember when my girls were little and I would try to grow a beard and, you know, I just, I couldn't. So I, 
I, um, I did the, uh, the it works pills and that didn't work. And, um, David pulled it. Could you imagine being tortured to that point? That would be it for me. Like I'd say, I'm done here. All right. But thanks be to God that even in the midst of that, he still humbled himself to endure the joy set before him. Because he knew the only way that you and I could stand before him and be in his presence for all of eternity and for him to restore what was now fractured because of sin, the only way was for him to endure the cross set before him. And he did it. After each person would spit in his face and slap him, he still did it. I mean, after every single person would beat him or would mock him or would humiliate him or would attack him or or would belittle him after everything that he had experienced, he still humbled himself to the will of the Father to endure the joy set before him. The cross does not sound very joyful to me. It doesn't sound very pleasant to me. It was painful. It was torture. It ended in death. But Christ humbles himself to fulfill the will of the Father and then to also fulfill the law in full. What I mean by that is this. We know that Peter or we know that Paul has addressed the fact that you and I cannot justify ourselves by the works of the law. And James wrote that if you and I are guilty of one, we are guilty of all of it. We're guilty of all of it. So let me just, as we go back to Luke chapter 18, we like to think of ourselves as good people, right? We like to use these measuring markers to justify the fact that we're good contributing people to society. In Luke chapter 18, let's go back to the reading that we started in. Two men went up to pray, one a Pharisee. A Pharisee would have been one that had good deeds, would he not? I mean, he tried to obey the law to his full ability. He tried to do all that he could. He tried to please God by how he acted. He wanted to appear to be holy and blameless before the Lord. So he truly tried in his own strength to fulfill the entirety of the law. But as James writes, if we're guilty of one, we're guilty of all of it. This is why it's important for us to know that Jesus came to fulfill the law so that all of those who would come to faith in him would have the fullness of the law fulfilled. Because if we are guilty of one, we are guilty of all. So the Pharisee, one that had the good deeds, one that would appear to be justifiable by the outside world, and then a tax collector. A tax collector would have been considered a traitor by his own people, would have been most likely a Jew, but then sold his rights to the Roman government and then would go around and get money from the Jewish people for the Roman people, which weren't even his own people. And he would abuse the people. Remember Zacchaeus, the wee little man, was a great traitor and thief. So we read about these two people. One had all of the things that would appear to be good and justifiable by the people. One would be the exact opposite, would be a poor excuse of a human being. Which one left justified? If you remember the story, the tax collector, there, he's standing there, unable to even look up, and he just cries out, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. That man, after all that he had done, after all of the pain that he has caused, after all of the things that he has done, he's the one that leaves justified? Isn't it crazy to think that 
You and I can try, we can try, we can try, we can try, but in and of our own strength are nothing to boast about. So the way I want to end today is I want you to consider the posture of both of these people. Because part of God's grace to you and to me is a personal revelation that we aren't nearly as good as we thought we were. And it's actually a personal revelation, not just that we aren't nearly as good as we thought we are, but it's a beautiful invitation that he gives to us to humble ourselves before him and to call upon his name to receive mercy and grace to cover our own sin. So whenever you think about the posture of these two people, I want to ask you, how do you fare? Which of these two individuals do you live like? Are you the Pharisee that you boast in your own goodness and that you justify yourself because of how you serve or how much money you give, how many hours you spend, how long you read the Bible, how many people you reach? Or do you humble yourself before the Lord and know that the only means of justification is through Christ alone? Now, when you and I are saved, we are justified. Sanctification is what happens next, right? We, from the moment of conversion until the moment of death, we are constantly being sanctified or should be constantly sanctified, growing into a greater reflection of Christ. Through the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the people of God, you and I are growing as reflections of Christ. But the moment that you and I are saved, we are justified before the Lord. Through whom? Christ. We are justified. But I believe the posture of this tax collector would be one that we would truly strive to live in, not just at the moment of conversion, but every single day of our lives. Because here's what's dangerous. After we become saved Christians, if we are not careful, we'll begin then to boast in all that we do. And what I would encourage you to do is to find yourself in the posture of this tax collector on a daily basis, reminding yourself that you are who you are, not because of you, but because of the grace of God given to you through Christ. I am able to stand before you, not because of me, but by the grace of God through Christ. I'm able to love my wife like God has called me to love, not because of me, because I'm broken, I'm flawed, but by the grace of God through Christ. I'm able to raise my four girls in a home that I long to see them come to faith in Jesus. I'm able to do that and to believe that one of these days, the four uh, four of them are going to be following Christ and truly born again believers of him. Not because of me, not because daddy did this or daddy implemented this, you know, nightly bedtime study and prayer, not because of anything I did, but because Jesus drew them to himself by the blood that he shed on their behalf. I'm able to long for the day in which I see my girls get married and then hopefully grandkids come to worship Jesus. Not because grandpa preached the Bible every family gathering or every Thanksgiving, but because Jesus himself through his bloodshed would draw them to himself so they would humble themselves before him and cast their nets before him, cast their sins before him, cast their anxieties before him, pleading for the mercy of Jesus for them. That is my longing to see. I long to see a day in which all of us find ourselves there. Because if you and I are prideful, we will begin to boast in who we are, what we do. May we never grow to be that. Because if we aren't careful, we'll be saved. And we'll say, you know, I'm not quite nearly as bad as them. 
So then we'll justify our own sinfulness because it's not as big as someone else's. And then we'll boast in our own actions because I serve here or I do that. But I just plead with all of us, can we find ourselves in the posture of this tax collector daily, reminding ourselves that you and I are only able to stand before him, holy, blameless, spotless, because of Christ. It is only Christ that I should boast in. It is only the cross of Jesus that I am able to boast in because it is the cross of Christ in which I have now a means of being justified, being able to stand holy before the Lord because I'm the reason he had to die in the first place. As I said earlier, if you and I were able to justify ourselves, if you and I were able to do enough good deeds, enough good works, there would be no need for a cross. Be none. But because we are broken sinners and fall short of the glory of God, God set a way for you and I to now be able to stand before him and to receive forever the gift of life. So at this time, I'd like to pray for all of us as we get ready to sing one last song. I just want to plead with you to consider the posture in which you live. Do you boast in what you've become and how you've lived and how much good you do? Or do you find yourselves regularly standing before the Lord, just beating your chest, saying, Father, have mercy on me, which would grow us in humility, humbling ourselves before him. And the promise here is this, for everyone who exalts himself will be what? Humbled. God opposes the proud. He opposes them. doesn't just have a little issue. He opposes them and will sentence them to eternal damnation. But the one who humbles himself will be what? Exalted. Maybe not here and now, but to be exalted above all of those who were not able to humble themselves. To be exalted in the glory of the Lord one day. Let's pray.